0: This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone.
1: Are we going to stand with God? Come what may. If the word of God says it, I believe it!
0: And that's the way it is.
1: And now, here is Janet Mefford.
0: Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us. Boy, I have been so sad to see what has gone on with the tornado disaster mostly in Kentucky, but parts of six states obviously were affected, dozens of people were killed. It's just a terrible tragedy. But I couldn't help thinking about the Ten Commandments in the wake of what happened afterward on the political front. And I'm going to back up a little bit, because I've been having these thoughts a lot more recently. For example, where you saw over the weekend, and this has been happening happening increasingly over the last several weeks, where you just have Groups of people, looters, breaking into these businesses across the country and just helping themselves to luxury goods and carrying off racks of expensive clothing. And it's unbelievable. And I'm thinking, have you people never heard, thou shalt not steal? Just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you ought to do it. Where is any sense of morality, any sense of your fellow man and what you are doing to those people? you're robbing or what your responsibility is before a holy God who will hold you accountable for what you're doing. There's just no fear of God before their eyes. So that on the one hand is what I've been thinking, but in the wake of what happened after the tornado disaster and what I'm hearing from the left, I'm thinking, have you people never heard the commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness? Because I'm getting tired of it. I know that this is part and parcel of politicians and it can be across the board. And it's it's been a punchline for years about politicians just being liars. And unfortunately, it's true. But I have to say that in my opinion, these people are really taking the cake. You would think that when you have so many people devastated by these tornadoes, that the response on a political level would be very simple and very nonpartisan. You'd think, although it doesn't happen much anymore, but you would think that the response would be from the president of the United States and anybody who's associated with dealing with the aftermath on a political level, bureaucrat or not, would say we are devastated to hear about this damage and we're going to do everything we can to help these people out and please pray for the families and do what you can to give to charities who will go in there and help out, or churches, what have you. That, that, That always has been, for most of my life anyway, the response from politicians when you have a natural disaster. But we're not in those times anymore, are we? We're in times where you have to never let a serious crisis go to waste, at least if you're on the left. And so what do we get? Well, we get the FEMA chief calling the deadly tornadoes the new normal due to climate change. That's right. FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell was on CNN's State of the Union and had this to say. Cut one. This is going to be our new normal. And uh, the, the effects that we're seeing from climate change are the crisis of our generation. Uh, we're taking a lot of efforts at FEMA to work with communities to help reduce the impacts um, that we're seeing from these severe weather events and help to develop system-wide projects um, that can help protect communities. What is she talking about? This is going to be our new normal. We're going to have Overwhelming tornado devastation on a, on a regular basis? What are you basing this on? You're a FEMA administrator. How Are you a meteorologist now? You know all of this? You know about all of the history of meteorological data and all of the background on all this? Because none of this is true, by the way. I'm going to get into the stats on it in just a moment. But, of course, the President of the United States also followed suit. This is cut two.
1: All that I know is that the intensity of the weather across the board has some impacts as a consequence of the warming of the planet and the climate change. The specific impact on these specific storms, I can't say at this point, I'm going to be asking the EPA and others to take a look at that. But the fact is that uh, we all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming, everything. And obviously it has some impact here, but I can't give you a a quantitative read on that.
0: So, in other words, you don't know anything, but you certainly will assert that climate change is to blame and man-made global warming is what is causing this terrible tragedy in these six states. Really? We all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming? Did you know that big tornadoes are down 50% since 1954? (laughs) Would it? Would he even know this? And if he knew it, would he even remember to say it? And, and would anybody allow him to say it? Because half the time he gets up at a podium to do some sort of public speech or some kind of public statement, he says, I'm going to get in trouble if I say this. So that was just why they don't let him near the microphone very often. But this just plain, flat out isn't true. Climate Depot has some great information. Lots of these Websites that deal with the climate change alarmism are all over this story because it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> Meteorologist Joe Bastardi said it's insanity. It's a below average tornado, wind damage, and hail season. There's no credibility, no knowledge of past weather. We are in the hands of leftists who weaponize weather for their purposes deceit and deception. And they point out here at Climate Depot, even the U.N.'s IPCC disagrees with Joe Biden. Extreme weather expert Dr. Roger Peelke Jr. noted that the IPCC claimed that trends in tornadoes associated with severe storms are not robustly detected. This is the U.N. saying this. Attribution of certain classes of extreme weather like tornadoes is beyond current modeling and theoretical capabilities and how tornadoes will change is an open question. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to get a real reporter to ask Joe Biden a question and say, sir... Why are you making the claim that we all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming and trying to insinuate that these tornadoes had anything to do with man-made global warming? What data are you using in order to make that claim? What studies are you looking at? And then point out where his claim actually falls apart based on studies in hand in the reporter's hands. Why doesn't anybody do this anymore? It was called reporting back in the day, and I know that's not what happens now. But somebody needs to be a reporter. Thanks to people like Peter Ducey, you get some decent questions now and then. But unfortunately, you really don't get much of a response except Jen Psaki you know, throwing her red hair behind her ear and giggling and saying something snarky. That's what passes for press coverage these days. Tough press coverage of the White House. You know, it's unbelievable. Here's another one from climatologist Dr. Roy Spencer to claim global warming is cause for tornadoes is directly opposite to the clear observational evidence. Oops. Yeah. Here are the facts. No overall trend in U.S. tornado activity since 1954, but EF3 plus uh, tornadoes are down 50 percent, the big ones. So Mark Morano points out that he's using the tornado tragedy to further the climate agenda. But data shows that these winter tornadoes are not becoming more frequent they don't care. They don't really care if they're telling the truth because they don't fear God and they don't fear the public. They don't fear anything. They really don't. They will lie. They will obfuscate. They will change their stories. They will assert things that have no evidence and no proof and no data behind them. And They don't care. And I'm telling you, you can look at the political situation on one level every single day and just make regular comments that anybody would know to say when you hear Biden saying something ridiculous like that. But it really comes down to a spiritual condition, doesn't it? At the end of the day, because we're not supposed to lie. And we're, and to take that kind of a tragedy just on a human level and to try to use that tragedy to further your bigger goal, which is to get, you know, the redistribution of wealth as a permanent policy in the West and destroy the United States of America and usher in your supposed nirvana of climate change awareness. Everything these guys touch turns to to rot. Have we not noticed this? Look at this country. Look at this country since Biden was elected. Let's just say that. Uh, well, look at this country. Is it better off? Are you paying less for gas and less for meat and less for groceries and less for Christmas presents? Good grief. It, it, it's... It's not hard to see what's going on as he spends trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions. At some point, you have to pay the pipe, or Your country just collapses. Your economic ruin is suddenly upon you, and you don't even realize what happened. I'm going to get into a little bit more on the data involving weather, because I guess weather is a crisis, according to this gang. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Back in a moment. I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life.
1: I feel like it was meant for me to have this. Baby. This
0: is something I gave me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young, hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save? 400 babies by the end of the year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save ten babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bible-less believers around the world for only four. $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years.
1: Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life.
0: That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: This hour Janet Mefford today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. I want to get back to a little bit of this politicization of the weather. I, I I don't know. I think they're going to do a lot more in this on, on this whole thing. I, I was thinking about the project Veritas Undercover video with some of the CNN folks. They've done a bunch of those videos. And there was one in particular where they caught somebody who was working at CNN. I think it was a producer talking about how, Trump leaving office was now going to be a problem for CNN and CNN would have to double down on its climate change alarmism because that's what they do. They always have to have something to freak people out. And I thought, well, right on time, CNN has begun to do all kinds of climate change content and the left is just putting it out there for all of the people to, you know, lap up if you're going to just take their word for things. I I don't know why after COVID-19 you would take the word of any of these people for anything. I saw yet another video, by the way, of of all of these leftists congregating in close quarters with no masks. I don't care about that. I think everybody should be allowed to do that. If you're worried about COVID-19 or the Omicron variant that's killed nobody, there's been one death from the Omicron variant, somebody with COVID. It wasn't even from COVID. You know, stay home then. Lock yourself up for the rest of your life. You're a free American citizen. You can do that if you want to. If you want to tremble in terror and not live your life because you're terrified and CNN has whipped you up into a frenzy over COVID, feel free to do it. But I think people ought to be able to go out and congregate and live their lives as normal. Life is a risk. It is a risk. And, you know, enough already. We've had about two years of this. But at the same time, you're seeing all these leftists with masks. People are posting about their children having to wear masks 7 hours a day at school and they can't go outside in certain states without a mask and we all still have to wear these things on airplanes and all of us are scratching our heads what good is this doing pretty much nothing because you look at the the the, the number of people who have been fully vaccinated and they're the majority of people according to the CDC who are getting the omicron variant the omicron variant and you know then it's going to be another variant followed by another variant but they want to keep people scared and they want you to get your fourth, fifth, sixth, 25th booster shot. Otherwise you'll die. Guess what? You're going to die. I'm not trying to be callous or uncaring. I'm very concerned about people who have died of COVID-19. That's horrible and tragic. And especially what happened in New York, where you had all of those senior citizens in the nursing homes and good old Cuomo, who's now been forced out of office. uh, The one brother, uh, Andrew, the Chris Cuomo, the CNN guy who got, kicked out of CNN. Great family you got going there. But anyway, Cuomo, who sent COVID patients back into the nursing homes and uh, you know, needlessly killed how many people by doing that and then denied that that was even the policy, eventually things caught up with him. But th- this is your American left. So here we have Biden and we have the FEMA administrator claiming that the tornadoes that devastated these six states just a few days ago, uh, it's all because of climate change And when you look at the data, it isn't true. Now, I want you to hear this, too, because I just think that we need to hear this. You're not going to hear this again and again and again if you're tuning into the mainstream media. They're just not going to play this stuff for you. So you need to hear this. Here was part of a a speech that Biden had given uh, also about this climate change stuff. It seems he's also unclear on what the weather event even was. This is cut three.
1: And the debris that you see scattered all over uh, the hurricane's path. They lost their homes. They lost their businesses. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And we still don't know how many lives
0: are lost or the full extent of the damage. It wasn't a hurricane. It was a tornado. It, it, he's so confused. And then there's a, a, an interview with Jill Biden. Doctor Jill Biden saying that anybody who questions her husband's mental fitness is ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Giggle, giggle, giggle. All right. Well, in an earlier speech, somebody else posted this. Joe Biden also informed us that people don't really call tornadoes by their names anymore. Did you know that? Here's what he said. Cut four.
1: You know, the looks like a tornado. They don't call them that anymore. That hit the crops and and wetlands in the middle of the
0: country and in Iowa, and Nevada. They don't call them tornadoes anymore? Do they call them hurricanes? Maybe that's what he was trying to get. They're now calling tornadoes hurricanes, and they're calling earthquakes floods. (laughs) News at 11. Okay. Well, at any rate, we know that this data that he's allegedly using doesn't exist to try to get everybody scared about climate change. And that's why there are tornadoes. And in fact, if you go back and you see the tornadoes that took place years ago, it's obvious that we've had weather before. Yes, indeed, we have had weather before. Mark Marano at Climate Depot, I wanted to get to this as well, said, despite the latest outbreak, the number of tornadoes this year has been well below average. There were no F5 winter tornadoes in the United States for 50 years. The last one occurred in 1971. We've had six F5 winter tornadoes since 1950. Six. So it goes into all the details on that. It's just crazy. Oh, but meanwhile, as I segue over to this, meanwhile, we have David French all up in arms yet again about white evangelicals. Now, this guy claims to be an evangelical, and he's also white, but he spends most of his time bashing Christians, bashing Christians for things that they haven't done and for positions that they haven't taken and for ideology to which they don't subscribe. He just, he's just the gift that keeps on giving. He's wrong about virtually everything. He misconstrues people's opinions. He is very insulting to white evangel- hes You know, no wonder he's friends with Russell Moore. Anybody surprised by this? David French just loves going after Christians. And, and that's another point too. What kind of Christian delights in going after Christians all the time? I mean, there are times that we have to point out wolves in the church or dangerous trends, and we need to identify and mark and avoid at times Christians or people within the church who are posing as Christians are saying and doing, leading God's people astray. That's one thing, but that's not what this guy does. He has this article, many people are criticizing this, and rightly so, Deconstructing White Evangelical Politics, Uh, And he says, what if white evangelicals are disproportionately flocking to outlier political positions because of a combination of factors that have little to do with theology at all? All right, he's setting you up here. White evangelicals are disproportionately flocking. flocking. We're like animals. We're flocking to outlier political positions because of things that have nothing to do with theology. What if they're shaped by far more mundane cultural forces that ultimately have little to do with faith and, and then misinterpreting the cultural as theological. I don't know, David French, you were the one who talked about drag queen story hours as one of the blessings of liberty. I think you maybe want to sit this one out. But he goes into this issue of abortion, for example. And he says, "I've always recognized the flaws in the movement. I'm an old school religious conservative." He says, "My response to the question of whether theology and doctrine were of primary importance to the movement was always the same. For all its flaws, Republican Christian conservatism is mainly driven by deeply rooted, theologically coherent faith convictions, and not by the perhaps more deeply rooted folk ways." or customs, of a disproportionately white, disproportionately rural, and disproportionately Southern American subculture. He says, I no longer believe this to be true. Why have I changed my mind? The theological convictions of Christian conservatism were put to a profound stress test, and the convictions failed. Partisanship prevailed. Populism prevailed. In some ways, the South prevailed. Not the South. Oh, no, not the South. We can't have the South prevailing. What, what, what is that? What is that? You're, you're putting down the South as a region and the wonderful Christians who live in the South because they're just not cool enough for you? So then he goes on about abortion and race and... It's just ridiculous. Let let me get to this point here where he talks about on immigration, white evangelicals are extreme outliers. They're far more likely to support family separation when parents enter the country illegally. They're far more likely to support decreasing even legal immigration by 50 percent. They're more likely to have supported Trump's proposed Muslim ban. It wasn't a Muslim ban. That's just a lie. Again, these positions depart substantially from those of non-white evangelicals. Here's the most amazing thing. He says, there's powerful statistical evidence that white evangelicals aren't really that committed to the legal pro-life cause. Is that right? Okay, well, going back, first of all, If you talk about evangelicals being far more likely to support family separation when parents enter the country illegally, I can only speak for myself. It's not a matter of wanting to separate families because we think that's awesome. It's they shouldn't be here in the first place because they're here breaking the law. Okay, David French? That's what it's about. It's about the rule of law. And what we believe, at least what I believe, is this should deter these parents from coming across the border illegally as they have been swarming in under President Biden. You think that's good for the country? You're going to change the whole country and you're going to have all kinds of people coming in who have no legal right to be here and are going to be taking money away from legal citizens, including people who have come from these same countries legally. And some of those people are are the maddest about all of this illegal immigration. That's a bad thing. They shouldn't be here in the first place. Supporting decreasing legal immigration, why is that a bad position to take? It's not a racist thing. It's it's a our country is out of control and we're running out of money and we're in terrible debt and we can't take on more people right now. And by the way, it wasn't a Muslim ban. But on the abortion thing, he's saying that majorities don't want to ban abortion of evangelicals and don't prioritize abortion. And there's strong evidence that white evangelical Republican support for Donald Trump is based more on immigration policy than his view of abortion. This is just ridiculous. Look at what Donald Trump did as president, the most pro-life president we've ever had. Look at what he did. Go over the record again, David French. But even National Review points out that his statistical evidence against evangelicals on the pro-life cause are ridiculous. And and they did a whole piece negating what he had to say. For example, one survey in 2019 shows that 65 percent of white evangelicals believe abortion should be illegal in most or all cases. That's a huge number of people, and it's much more people than you find in other demographic groups. So I don't understand why it is that he can't come up with a different subject, but you think he might want to talk now and then about the horrors of the left and what the left is doing to this country? That might be a nice change of pace. We'll come back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner, American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day.
1: This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: If you've spent much time on social media, then you might have noticed people referring from time to time to the terms exvangelical or deconstruction. We have talked about these terms before. The exvangelicals are those who have left evangelical Christianity, often after this process known as deconstruction. This is a term that postmodern theologian Mark C. Taylor described as the hermeneutic of the death of God. Not a good thing. God's word tells us, though, in 1 Timothy four one: now the spirit expressly says that in later times someone. Well, depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. We know those people exist, but there are also Christians who stumble at times because churches or maybe some other Christians failed them. How do we help those people with especially tender souls to take refuge in the anchor of our souls, Jesus Christ? We're gonna talk about it today with Dr. Lena Abu-Jamra. She is a pediatric ER doctor and founder of Living With Power Ministries and hosts Today's Single Christian on Moody Radio. And her latest book is called Faith, Lena, it is great to have you with us. How are you? Great. I'm glad to be with you, Janet. Thank you. You talk in the book, obviously, about the fact that you had an experience with this process of deconstruction. You didn't go all the way off the rails, obviously. But talk a little bit about what happened to you, because I think it is interesting to people that someone can really go through a a time of turmoil like you did.
2: Yeah, I was uh, very involved in a very high profile ministry and really starting to take off in an area in my life that I thought was my calling. My dreams were all coming to a head. You know, everything that I had prayed for for, I don't know, 10 years prior to that, everything in my life, even leading up to that, had culminated in being this church. I looked up to the pastor. I was somewhat on the somehow. I don't know how I landed on the inside circle, but it all felt like God was blessing what he was leading me towards. And so when I started seeing rot, in the leadership. Really that's, that's what it boiled down to. Uh, I had questions and I, 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 was confused about whether I was confused or <laughs> whether there was something wrong, you know? And so I think that led to sort of a season of about a year or two where, you know, leading up to my leaving that mega church, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a sort of a process when you get to the place where you leave a church, where you question yourself, you yeah. question God, and, and, and you ask. The, well, I guess at that point, I wasn't even questioning God. I was just leaning into God is just the right thing to do. And, and things just culminated, and they went from back to worse, to, to where the point was obvious to me at one, at one point that I needed to leave. I think the problems for me started after that, because here you, you leave for noble reasons. You leave for reasons that you think are, are just and blessed by the Holy Spirit of God. And then in the months and even years that followed, everything you thought would happen in terms of feeling vindicated, rallied with, you know, blessed, God's favor coming on you because (laughs) you're, you know, you're doing the right thing sort of went the other direction. In a sense, I was isolated and friendless and, and churchless for some time. And all those dreams that I had. I had pinned my hopes on, I guess, in some ways that felt Christian, that felt noble, that felt for his glory, not mine, uh, sort of looked like they were falling through the drain. And so I really went through the season where I had to question, uh, what am I in this for? What does Christianity really mean? Uh, are they right uh, or or is God's word right? I was going to say, am I right? And really it's not a me versus them. It's really a, what does God want here? Mm. But I'm telling you, Janet, the the the, the momentum is so anti In evangelicalism, the momentum is so anti what the Bible teaches in the season of life that it makes that season of what I call now deconstruction immensely hard so that it's not surprising to me now that many people have fallen off to the other side of saying, screw it, literally I'm not into this, if this is Christianity, I don't want to be part of it Wow, what's happening to a lot of people right
0: now Right, so it seems then that what you're saying is the experience the bad experience that you had, the fallout from what occurred at your church was really what kind of started this process going. Did you have theological struggles because of the experience or was it mainly the experience of just thinking The church failed me and these people I admired failed me and people I feel isolated. I mean, I've heard that from a a lot of Christians over the years who don't say necessarily that it spiraled into a process of deconstruction. What what was the fine line there between feeling disappointed in your church and then entering into this process of deconstruction? What was that like for you?
2: You know, I grew up into church. I've I've got saved in Lebanon. I grew up in sort of a conservative, um, now looking back, legalistic movement, which I think even looking back at it, I think... Many people go through a lot of deconstruction in their faith. Many people leave the church. They get upset over things. That's yeah. different than what I believe has been happening the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, there is a theological intertwining, a braiding, so to speak, of of, of those questions, because um, we have made evangelicalism so centered on these personalities that claim that they have the truth, the Word of God, the, um, the say in how faith is directed and how... the the church runs. And so the lines are very blurred. I wish I could tell you is like, of course, now you look back and go, uh, yeah, well, why was I putting my hope in the person? I mean, I guess I didn't think I was in it, but this isn't isolated to one church. This was sort of, and I think is a movement in our culture, and we're seeing it across the board. I mean, I was in one of the mega churches. There's many others that have been uh, sort of uh, exemplary and bad (laughs) exemplary, I guess, of what it looks like to unravel. And so, yes, the theological questions are inevitably there. And for a season, and before in my case it became evident that their leadership was corrupt there was a season of several years where i had acted by faith but the church itself was continuing to grow i wasn't i took a hit in a sense my ministry myself whereas the church itself continued to blossom and grow and that person who was leading the pact um was making decisions that now are again you look at it it's become a very public story you go man that was so questionable but at the time I guess, again, you go on this, am I on the outside? Are they Christian? Am I Christian? What is Christianity? If God is blessing them, where do I fall into the spectrum of these questions? I think those are the questions that become theological, because it looks like the person who's making the bad decisions is being blessed by God. And so our idea of blessing has to be revamped. Our idea of God's favor has to be revamped. Our idea of what it means to be a Christian has to be revamped and taken back to the Word of God. And that process is very lonely, I think, right now in the United States, which is why, again, so many people who end up walking against the grain of what their church is doing, end up feeling very much alone. And I think if you're not careful and if you're feeding yourself from what our culture tells us, it's easy to be um To to find yourself a few years later, as opposed to what has happened to me, which is in many ways stronger in faith, in in some ways purer in faith, I think you can easily fall on the other side of it, of finding yourself in a place of disbelief and sort of cynical, you know, I'm never going to go back to that church sort of place, which is sadly very characteristic of many millennials and under now.
0: Yeah, you're right. Boy, we need about five, six, seven hours to talk this through, Lena, (laughs) because I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think when you made the comment about the fact that there aren't enough people who are really going to the Word of God? That that really resonates with me because that is part of the huge problem that evangelicals in the United States have right now. How did you get out of this period of time? When you look back on this mm. deconstruction that you said was slow and it began to you know go down into disbelief, how did the Lord bring you out of that?
2: Yeah, I think there's a sense in my in my beliefs and what I believe really the Bible teaches is that God keeps us in salvation. And then you, I know you can battle this theologically and I'm not trying to push a theological perspective, but I really think a lot of it has kind of boils down to that. Like God's got a hold of us if you're in Christ. And so that you, there is, there is some sense of God just protected me, but practically speaking, I think a lot of things happened in that season that sort of woke me up and I'll tell you one of them. And again, these are public stories. So I think I can easily mention this, but I remember when even the idea of, reconstructing faith came to me it was i was i don't i don't think at that point this was about 4 4 years after i left my church and i was sort of in this island in this desert in this dark night of the soul i guess you could now but i remember sort of watching the news and hearing about a famous evangelical called uh joshua harris actually who yep. had been very much an example in the 80s or i guess 90s and yes. into 2000 he had written that book on dating that had impacted me not not to the point of you know uh, you know idolatry but but i like i read the book <laughs> i believed that i'd written on singleness so it certainly had a place in my in my you know christian background and i remember when he deconstructed and used that term it's sort of the term was becoming much more familiar and honestly it upset me a little bit it takes it, it me off yeah. I couldn't understand how This person who had been so Given to the church and to his Christian Belief had become so So I'm not even sure I can still define what he is. And I think at that point, by God's grace, I was still very much walking through the habits of Christianity, even though my heart was disconnected from the Lord. And I think in many ways that saved me. And so I was still going to speak in places, preparing Bible studies, reading my Bible every day. I just felt a huge battle with God over these things. And I remember when I heard his story. I was asked to speak at a college in town. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to speak not on deconstructing faith, but on reconstructing faith. And I landed in Genesis 32.
0: I'll tell you what, story- hang, hang it there, Lena. We've got to go to a break. And this is a good place to take it. We'll be right back talking about fractured faith on Janet Meffer Today.
1: From Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine comes American Underdog. Undrafted out of college, quarterback Kurt Warner found himself stocking grocery shelves while trying to hold on to his dream to play in the NFL.
2: I have been working for this my entire life. God is going to do something great with you.
1: Based on the true story, American Underdog. Rated PG. pedal guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. More information is available at AmericanUnderdogInspires.com if you're looking for adventure serving as a volunteer on the mercy ship is an adventure like no other and you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital
2: ship in the world providing free care to some of the world's poorest people whether it's performing a surgery cleaning the deck or transporting a patient to a recovery
1: center every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people begin your adventure today connect with us at mercyships.org it's an adventure of a
0: lifetime this is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers around the world for only four. $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD, that's 800 Yes Word. or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com.
1: I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life.
0: That's 800-YESWORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is such an important thing to talk about in an era of deconstruction. You see people talking about that online and more and more Christians are hearing this term and thinking, what is this all about? And you see people like we've been discussing, like Joshua Harris, who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And he was this up and coming, best-selling Christian author and promoted this wonderful view of courtship. And then he fell off the rails. He went completely off the rails, deconstructed his faith. And now he's way on the other side of things. What happens when you get caught up in this cycle of deconstruction, is there a way back to the Lord? It's what we're discussing with my guest, Dr. Lena Abajama. Her book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And Lena, I apologize. We had to run to that break very quickly. They, they never come at the most opportune times, but unfortunately, uh, we had to break very, very briefly there. But I want you to pick up where you left off, if you yeah. want. because you did mention Joshua Harris. And that, sure. that whole thing that he put out on social media about deconstruction freaked a lot of Christians out. But but what did you do from that point on?
2: Well, I went to God's word. And again, it was by God's grace. I had had a talk at a college and I went to Genesis 32 thinking about who else in Scripture fought over sort of the life stage that they were in, the questions that came up over the wounds in their life, and the fears in their life, and the disappointments in their life. And I landed in Genesis 32 on, on Jacob's story, and I thought, man, this story could have ended up in a number of ways. And yes, the, the man, Jacob, walks out of this encounter with God where he's wrestling with God with a limp, but his faith lasts He comes out stronger, and so I started thinking through this reconstructing of faith. And I'm telling you, it was that. It was the word of God. It was it was being surrounded by Christians who wouldn't let me go off the rails, you know. And I didn't remember I wasn't in church, so in some ways I had lost my Christian community. But I had one or two people in my life that were very close to me that that bore the burden of these questions, even though they didn't understand the full extent of what I was going through. I think they were there. So I think about the disciplines of the Christian life that so often bore us, honestly. I mean, there's no way to say it other than in a social media world, we're bored by the habits of Christianity, and yet it became the very habits of Christianity. My seven-year-old nephew, who at the time was four and five, asking me on Sunday morning, are you coming to church with us? Hmm. And me not being able to say no to him, (laughs) because I knew that I was in ministry, so what could I say no? I mean, how would I disappoint him? And so I would go for the sake of him, and in the process of being in the Word, surrounded by the Word, being around godly counsel, it, it eventually... God meets you in those places. And yeah. so when we make that our place of asking the questions, as opposed to going on social media, listening to God knows who tell you God knows what they found and God <laughs> knows where, yeah. it's, no, it no, it, it's evident that I landed where I did and so many others don't. And I, I pray that many who question their faith right now and who are going through these questions, particularly as it pertains to the disappointments of the Christian life, and there have been many famous leaders who have fallen in the last five years. I, I pray that God would, by His grace, keep us in those places where we are open to His Word, which is ultimately our life.
0: Amen. And I love what you said before about God keeping us. This goes back to what Jesus said about no one shall snatch us out of his hand. And then you yeah. find that to be true in your actual experience. You know, it's interesting, too, when you're talking about the things that almost destroyed your faith in God. One of the things you mentioned, which you just alluded to, was expectations. I think that there are mm-hmm. many, many sincere Christians who were unfortunately sold a bill of goods, as it were. They might believe, <laughs> depending on where they went to church and who discipled them, or lacked the discipleship uh, that needed to be taking place in their lives they believe that wow when i come to jesus my needs will be met and and my dreams will be fulfilled and everything will be wonderful here on out and god will give me what i pray for and all these kinds of things and that just sets you up for incredible yeah. difficulty when you hit your first bump in the road which the bible promises we will suffer everyone who desires to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted i mean that's what scripture says if the world hated jesus the world will hate us. Do you think that we have lacked giving new Christians enough of those verses that really will prepare them for the time when they might stumble?
2: I think the surprising thing has been not the persecution that many of us think, okay, yeah, I could be persecuted by the world. I think the challenge in the last few years has been that the challenge has been in the church. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So I think, like, like I'm ready. I'm from Lebanon. I understand what it means to, you know, I'm not Muslim background, but I understand many of my friends in the last few years as our ministry has grown with ministering uh, medical missions in the middle east i've seen people die for the faith yeah. you, uh, thrown out of their homes but, but it's always by people outside of the church i think the thing that messes with your brain right now in the united states it's that it's the christians that are disappointing you the fighting that's happening is in the walls of the church yeah. it's never been so bad in the church yeah. and i think that's where i think we need to re tune our expectations to what the Bible teaches. First of all, that's not new. Paul talks a lot in his in the New Testament about all of the pain that happened within the context of the local church, right. and and are are redefining. And I think these are conversations that they're not new in a sense. I remember reading David Platt's book, Radical, you know, early in my you know sort of you know Christian when I started being in ministry and being so impacted by it. Like inside, we know that God's favor isn't money and big houses. We know that, but yet we somehow have bought this thing that says if I am obeying the Lord, if I don't sin if I go to church every Sunday God is going to bless me big time in an American way and Mm -hmm. I think that is poison to the Christian worldview. I genuinely yes. believe that that is destroying our faith in God because we're constantly disappointed that God is blessing others more than he's blessing us. Therefore, either I must be wrong or God must be lying. Yeah. And our definitions are not based on his word Yeah, of what it looks like to be favored by God.
0: For sure. I, You know, you, you raised some very good points and I was thinking about Paul talking in Scripture in 1 Timothy about the fact that Alexander the coppersmith did him great harm and made the Lord not hold it against him and, you know, yeah. the, God, the Lord will repay him for what he has done but also talked about some other Christians who had gone with him on his missionary journeys at Mm -hmm. times and then abandoned him. So he knew what it was like. And Jesus was abandoned by everybody when he went to the cross. Obviously, they came back. But the Lord is very familiar with what it feels like to be disappointed in his followers because he experienced it, too. What do you say to somebody who might be listening who's saying, all right, I'm in that process right now where Christians have really mistreated me, my church. I, I put so much stock in my church and my pastor, and it just has fallen apart. There was a a scandal in our church maybe, how in the world do I continue to put one foot in front of the other and continue to follow yeah. Jesus Christ? What kind of advice would you give to that person?
2: I think the hardest emotion when you're in that place is it's so lonely. It really is aridly lonely. I'm single and I and had and left, you know, I, I in some ways I felt so cut off from anyone, anything. Mm-hmm. You, you're ashamed to admit it. There's a lot of shame in that place because you feel like you should know better. And so for the person who feels that, first of all, that's why I wrote the book. Honestly, who writes? I mean, I'm in, I'm in ministry, right? I mean, I'm ministry. flourishing in many ways. Even in the last six years, God has continued to grow our ministry in, in the global arena in particular, but even here in the United States. I mean, nothing, Visibly looked wrong with our ministry. It's just my heart was in a hard, broken place. I don't even think it was a hard place. I was just so hurting. And so so the way that God orchestrated it to even write this book that I would never have imagined to write, honestly, I would beg this person who's feeling that, like, read the book. You're not alone. You're not alone. Get to the resources that God has put before you. This is just one of many. And, and and talk to people talk to me i mean this is i make myself available this is one of the blessings of social media as much as there's so many negative uh, things in social media the blessing is you can reach the people and there are good godly people out there you'll find them and so and so so maybe this is the person who's listening right now by God's sovereign grace maybe that's you listening and so uh, obviously you know I you know connect with me I'd send you the book if you can't afford it and that's again just one way that God I believe will bless you and show you maybe some light at the end of the tunnel because ultimately you're not in this alone God is in it with you and I think this was sort of my biggest aha moment in my worst darkest places and and there were a lot in the last years of my life I think the surprising thing, the thing that wooed me back to God, so to speak, was his constant presence in those dark places. He right. never abandoned me. He was right. just there waiting for me to see him.
0: Right. And that's, you know, it's funny because when you go through an experience like that, as so many Christians have, it throws you back on the Lord, doesn't it? Which is what we should have been doing in the first place. It's not that other Christians are not important, that that the things that are tearing churches apart are not important, but to remember our fellowship first and foremost is with him, and he will never Mm. let us down. Never, ever, ever. And that's the foundation. And and I think sometimes if you can go through those very disappointing experiences, the Lord can use it to sanctify you and to help somebody else like you're doing down the road.
2: That's what happened to Peter, right? I mean, he... The Lord told him, You're going to deny me. You know, Satan wants to sift you, but you're going to come back and you're going to strengthen the brethren. And I I think, in many ways, I I was deeply encouraged by these words in the scriptures in that season, you know, as I was sort of starting to wake up, in a sense. And I think the biggest lie that Satan would have us believe, and it comes in a variety of ways, you know, in terms of how we believe it, but I think we feel like if we ask these questions, aside from not wanting to ask them to other people, I think there's a sense in our hearts and our minds that thinks if I verbalize these things God is going to see who I am he's going to mm-hmm. lead me like I'm pushing God like, yeah. and, and I think one of the other things that plays
0: a mental game is we tend to numb our pain with sin yeah, in the do. seasons that we're hurting well you're right uh, Lena I'm so sorry we need to wind it up at Dr. Lena Abujamra the name of her book Fractured Faith thank you so much for being with us Lena and thank you for being with us on Janet Maffer today we'll see you next time